0: back let's just say it it's a great day today that's all i want to say i feel good today how are you feeling today my trusty companion into the waves oh that's beautiful outside sunny and um, monday it's monday (laughs) it's a big it's been a good monday not gonna lie i've woke up pretty early today got some pretty productive things done i'm telling you it's a nice day I think that when the weather is nice, you kind of can get more productive earlier. I don't know what you think. Because sometimes when it's cold, it's like...
1: You don't really want to get up nah. Yeah. after a nice weekend.
0: Yeah, especially after, you know, you're just chilling, Super Bowl weekend. I know probably a lot of people ate a lot of food. We did. We ate a lot of food for sure. We had some bomb pizza from... I don't know if you guys have this where you're from, but we have Mountain Mikes here in the Bay, but specifically in the Peninsula I don't know if the whole bay has it, but that's the best pizza. I don't care what anyone says. You heard it here first on the podcast. Mountain Mike's <laughs> is the best pizza. Shout out
1: with uh to
0: Mountain Mike and Belmont. Yeah. Shout out Mountain Mikes in Belmont. You can sponsor us if you want to. Well, we love you guys. But yeah, <laughs> we I mean, had a
1: good time. I guess. Um I guess that's the first year we do
0: these kind of things, huh? Yeah. Uh, I think we've always done it at home. Yeah. Pretty just much because like, you know, there's more access. It's worth it back then. I guess we had cable, but nowadays with streaming services, like you don't even need cable, but you still need cable to watch like sporting events for some reason. It's a hassle. I know my mom; she's not into any of the hype or any of that stuff. So she was chilling watching it on what YouTube. You, uh, did, did you figure out? No, we had a big
1: problem. Remember, we left on the half uh, time. Yeah, and I thought I was gonna see the the the
0: end of the game. It was like a chat thing. <laughs> oh. I couldn't see. Goodness. I was like, "What?" So she was basically trolling you. Not she just, was not
1: watching the game. No, uh, they had it um like a chat thing and YouTube and
0: we couldn't see anything, so whack. Uh, yeah, I was like. I mean, I didn't watch to be honest. I didn't I wasn't that engaged in the game. It was cool, don't get me wrong. Oh, good. oh no, half, I mean, yeah, it's nice. It was all right. The Super Bowl show halftime. You already know we have some legends come on. Yeah. You were not a fan of it, but I personally enjoyed it for the nostalgia. It was, I don't know. You got Dr. Dre. You got Snoop. You got 50 Cent. You got Eminem. What else can you say? Let's just leave it at that. They're they're GOATs. We talk about GOATs here a lot. MVPs, those guys oh, yeah, are definitely. GOATs, especially from the LA area, yeah. specifically Compton, everything that has come out of there, specifically that city Snoop Dogg's obviously from Long Beach, California, and they had one of their younger artists as well. Do you know Kendrick Lamar? Mm -hmm. He's also from LA. So basically, except for Eminem, I'm almost positive everyone was like a a native from that area. So it was dope to have that representation. I liked it. It was nice. One of the things I noticed, a lot of people without masks. Don't even get me started on that. I I saw so many, not memes, but like yes memes and kind of like, roasting or being like it's funny how that all took place in california where we're still you know have mask mandates yeah. all of these things was so strict yet how was it possible that they were able to host a super massive event like the super bowl you already know a lot of people being one of the
1: biggest uh, here
0: in the united states Definitely super bowl historical numbers especially during the pandemic yes like, unprecedented you would well, be like you would think oh they're gonna shut it down but what happened last year i don't remember last year it was not hosted here. The Chiefs won the Super Bowl last okay. year, um, if I'm not mistaken. But I think they did play in a stadium. Of course, it was all outdoors, though. Was uh, close to the public, maybe? Um, no, no, public? Uh, no, no, there was fans there. Really? Yeah, there was fans there last year, definitely. I just forgot where... Oh, did they not host it in um, Tampa Bay in Florida? I That's think. why, yeah. I think they might have hosted it in Florida. Um obviously their restrictions are a lot less limited than ours. Let's just look that up real quick. Where was the Super Bowl hosted last year? During the pandemic. 2021. Yeah, Florida. I was right. Yeah. So basically the restrictions were a lot less I don't think there was any restrictions in Florida because it, it varied state by state. That that's ultimately where we're coming back to our original point: how the restrictions in California are through the roof. Yeah, you're over there hosting the Super Bowl, kind of a little bit of a hypocritical stance in some people's opinions. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a transition. Uh, things that we're going to in here in the United States, some parts, some states, they follow all the um, CDC. Guidance and some state don't. And I hope you stay safe, you know. Wherever you leave, wherever you listen, stay safe. And uh, what do you like about Super Bowl, Samuel? Me, personally? Mm,
0: I don't know. I guess I like it a lot more when, obviously, a team that I personally enjoy okay. is involved. But other than that, I just look for, they obviously really usually have some pretty wild commercials. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. For
1: me, I I like to see that part. Yeah. During the game, those um, commercials. Advertising, yeah. And that's a very expensive... when they broadcast those spots. Extremely. I think they go for what? Like millions? Millions. Yeah. There was
0: one I was reading. I don't know if you guys, obviously a lot of people watched the Super Bowl, but specifically the one that flashed up with like a QR code <laughs> flashing around on the screen. Everyone was probably like, yo, is my TV broken right Yeah, now? Like, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: What happened? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah so basically what that so was. So
1: do you find that I one? I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. So
0: that was essentially a commercial okay. that was ran. Uh-huh. Um. The company that ran the commercial, it flashed at the end of it. I don't know if you saw, but it was like a big bright blue screen screen, and it said Coinbase. So Coinbase is essentially a cryptocurrency platform where Mm -hmm. you can purchase, trade, transact uh, cryptocurrency. I actually use Coinbase personally for some crypto transactions, mainly for their wallet, which is becoming very popular nowadays with the whole concept of NFTs. The way that NFTs work, you need cryptocurrency to buy NFTs. Anyways, this commercial was ran by Coinbase, company okay. who provides this. It was a little bit funny, though, because the total sum they ended up paying was $7 million. That's what they paid? For that to, spot. To, yeah. to essentially what it was, for those of you who didn't watch it, it was just a f- small QR code. I'm yeah, sure we're all QR. familiar with what QR codes are. Mm-hmm. That was bouncing across a black screen. It was like a game. It looked like Pong. Yeah. yeah. If you've ever played Pong, it was kind of just bing, bing, bing. And it had like this little music in the background. But essentially... If you were to pull out your iPhone oh, okay. or any camera-based uh-huh. smartphone that yes. can scan QR, it would redirect you to a URL for coinbase.com. It was oh, basically just an ad. Oh, okay, okay. It was a target, not a targeted ad, but obviously an ad in this case for Coinbase. That was it. However, it's funny because apparently from what I was reading, the site crashed because so much traffic went to it. And apparently it wasn't, like, a properly integrated server really? to handle that So much the traffic. server got crashed? Well, the site crashed, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, After, yeah. like, so many people started, like, Yeah, you trying know, to hit
1: the uh, Scan the, the QR code, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with I'm how much very, traffic.
1: I'm very familiar so with well, that So,
0: basically, stuff. what happened? It just well, the bottlenecked? Is, or, and
1: yeah, the problem is that it, it hits. That, that IP address and that server, is hit, like, I mean, From it's a QR. So, oh yeah, so that's kind of like the just server. Server in, is you know? trying to when 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 somebody hit like that. You know, you put the address www. Let's say Coinbase. Dot com. and then that was too much traffic. Yeah, and then the server couldn't couldn't handle that. Yeah, so that basically
0: pattern. people were scanning the QR code and it okay. would just it wouldn't load the page. So it was kind of like a from the articles they were like it was a useless ad they paid 7 million yeah, but didn't invest enough on their website so it was just like kind of like a funny little troll but those types of commercials and just a lot of the marketing that comes out in the Super Bowl it's fun to watch it's interesting I think obviously the people who make those commercials are, are really creative you know and they, yeah, know, yeah. they know what they're doing yeah. specifically to try and whatever their product is get it out I was so surprised to see some of the commercials I was like He's making no sense.
1: It's gonna. It sounds funny because um, when I saw it, it, I was with with Carmen, your wife, and mm. we were kind of like she said, "Oh, the the TV broke down," and then we would keep looking it because it's, it was random, like boom. Yeah, it was very random. And uh, it was funny because I I was um, a few days ago I was working with uh, QR codes. I even I showed you on my phone. Yeah. And um, how technology is, you know, it's advancing. But you just, you just mentioned something that it, it's um, very uh, relevant when we're talking about. See, they spent a lot of money in putting that commercial, but they were not prepared for what was going right. to happen. And sometimes that's that's, we, that's what it is in life. Sometimes you prepare for one event, and you're not prepared for the other events that they might happen. And I guess, you know... These days, it's very important to cover all your areas. Yeah. Because can you imagine the the owner of the, the company is in a learning experience. It's yeah. a, hey, you know, we invest so many millions with this. It came out, but in the other part. So I guess that's, that's, that's a big lesson to learn.
0: Definitely. You got to cover all your bases, boys and girls. Don't count your eggs before they hatch. You know, that's like an old idiom that they say. But another good news for this week, specifically for the Bay Area, I just looked it up right here because I was curious. Uh, It's saying that the mask mandate will end in California starting February 15th, which... It's, it's tomorrow. tomorrow. Yes, yes, yes. Today is yeah, fourteen. What they call Valentine's Day for all those lovebirds out there. Yeah. yeah. What you,
1: what you, um, what you got for your wife? Anything Man. special?
0: Well, oh, well, you don't celebrate. Uh, I, do. Uh, b- I do. Valentine. I do. Obviously, I'm not gonna make myself sound bad out there. Also, not to brag or anything, but I, I personally like to, um, like cook or to take like the food aspect. Into my own hands on Valentine's Day, so uh, well, I mean, I've been married for one year, so my first Valentine's Day, (laughs) I guess the way it went, I cooked some steaks, some fire steaks. Um, today I have something a little bit more creative planned. Um, I want to go and buy some tacos. You're going to? Or yeah, um, well, obviously, I'm not gonna buy them right now. They're gonna be like cold. Yeah, but later on, I'm gonna buy
1: tacos. Like at the dinner. No, like
0: I'm gonna make. I'm gonna buy like I don't know like twenty twenty four tacos okay. and I'm gonna arrange them in like a certain arrangement. Obviously, it's gonna be a heart because it's Valentine's Day, so you know, not too sweet, cringy or cheesy. So that's your
1: idea. That's it's my concept.
0: Yeah, it's my concept. Well,
1: I hope Carmen uh, put a comment.
0: Well, she's not. She whenever <laughs> she this listen. podcast comes out later, yeah, but so. yeah, we'll see what what she thinks about that idea <laughs> for all you single or not single man for all you people whoever's out there you can use that one if you ever don't want to quote unquote cook but still kind of cook and if you know what your girl likes then you can kind of customize it you can do in and out you can do whatever you want but yeah it, flowers are cheesy to me me personally I, yeah, I'm, okay. I don't know people can i like flowers don't get me wrong but i like flowers as like home decor okay. like plants not necessarily, like, roses, tulips. Like, you got some nice plants here. Pretty dope, giving you a nice vibe. I like that. Good job. But, um, yeah, I don't like, like, oh, here are your roses. Or, like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. especially when they're taxing, like, $30 for, like, 10 roses. Not worth it. I'd rather just go and support local businesses, grab some stuff, grab some food, have a good, fun night together, just chilling. That, to me, makes a lot more memories.
1: Yeah. For me, I think... Uh, um it's it's well, I'm gonna be twenty two years
0: Sheesh. of married And I uh, get a little snap, little applause. That's a big feat. Yeah, yeah. And what's uh, the key? I guess
1: uh, over the years you
0: learn things.
1: For me today, yes a Valentine's Day and you know, flowers, gifts, and you know, it's good. But I guess I uh, we we are. Uh, I'm the type of guy that all of a sudden you can impress somebody, okay? So I don't have to wait for Valentine to impress right. my wife, yeah, with the nice flowers or right. a gift. And for me, that's more important than just just today, right? Uh,
0: because it's like a more than a commercial. Now you have definitely, to buy, you have definitely. to get. So if you're not buying your girl flowers on a regular basis, why are you buying? My opinion, personally, yeah. like I'll, I'll buy flowers yeah. any other time, like off season, but. You do it only on Valentine's Day. It's kind of like, well, you're not that much of a real gentleman there. <laughs>
1: I think we went to Costco, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And um, yeah, at the end of January. And I saw a nice, um, she likes uh, this type of uh, plan. Your mom. Yeah. And I saw it. When I saw it, I'm going to buy it And I bought it and said, here, uh, happy Valentine's Day. Dang. And that's it. Like I mean, it was not a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a bit. That's the key. That's you know, just to keep it. And you know, later on, I was gonna, I'm gonna surprise it maybe with the uh, Panda Express. She Sheesh. likes Panda Express. I had
0: Panda. I had Panda uh, yesterday. You actually. know, it just Fire. you know, that's small things, small small details, but with a lot of love. Y'all gotta take notes out there for whoever's you know aspiring or trying. Not saying that we got it all figured out. Oh no, 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 definitely no. make sure. To not be intentional every day. Every day should be Valentine's Day almost if you want to think about it that way. That's pretty much what it is. Don't wait for that special day or that special moment. Make everything worth it and try your best. That's it. And at the end of the day, you'll probably see some decent results from that. (laughs) You'll probably be your girl or or your significant other, your wife, will appreciate that. I I think you you
1: will see a big, a big result.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: But you have to do it consistently. Consistency. Yeah,
0: you know it's hard,
1: you know, yeah. especially for us as men. Definitely, it's, it's not easy. For yeah. women, it's, it's easy. They're very sentimental. They're very um, what we say. Um, no, uh, meticulosas.
0: Yeah, they're a little bit. They pay more attention yes, to detail. Yes, yes, yeah,
1: yes. but never is too late to start.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, whatever there might be girls out there listening who will probably think the opposite. You know, yeah. you never know that they're probably like, man, that's not true. We I don't, not necessarily that into that or whatever, but it's, anyone has their own approach to it. I think it's important though, to learn how to be vulnerable, like emotionally, not just for that specific purpose, like let's say, oh, romantic interest, but also for overall health, you learn a lot, you know, because sometimes people are just too numb. And so going out of your comfort zone to do something a little bit extra nice for someone might help you too. You know, like not even to get missed or religious or anything, but like they say it's better to give than to receive. Yeah, That's honestly like a psychological concept that a lot of people don't think about. Like giving to someone actually makes you feel really good because you're like, dang, that person got a smile on their face or maybe, hey, I made that person's day. So try it. Give it a try. It might even help you feel better. It's not always about, oh, I want to give things to myself. Try it out. Give to someone else and see how it makes you feel. It's pretty dope actually, but Yeah. Other than that, I want to get in straight into this week's topic. It's a big one. I heard some some feedback from last week's topic. Y'all liked it. Y'all thought it was cool. So we're just going to keep going with it. We're touching on last week's topic was we were speaking of one man, the Bethlehem OG, as I like to call him, King David. Because we obviously know the second or the number one MVP in the whole Bible, in my opinion, Jesus from Nazareth, was also from Bethlehem, but this guy was also, and he's kind of like the OG, that's why I titled it that, but we're going to sort of pick up where we left off, just to give a brief summary of what we were talking about last week. Last week, we were touching specifically on the setup prior to King, or to David, taking sort of the stage, stepping into the picture. We talked a lot about Samuel, the prophet, specifically in his relationship with Saul, the king at the time, and how He began to sort of enter into these patterns that were beginning to disqualify him or to basically the way that we ended it up last week is that Saul was trying to ask Samuel for forgiveness after he had, you know, committed this blasphemy sinned against God. He basically disqualified himself um, and we read the scripture where it says that the spirit leaves Saul, which is an indication of basically he was not the green lit king anymore he he didn't have the backing of per se god or in this case samuel specifically was not backing him anymore but rather um god kind of took matters into his own hand and it says we can pick it up specifically in chapter 16 i know we read this last week but i'm reading out of first samuel um from the english standard version for those of you guys wondering about the translations that we're reading what what do you have on deck I have oh, the uh, uh, NIV. you got the niv okay yeah. cool cool so we got the niv we got the esv but basically right here i'm reading first first Ch- samuel chapter 16 and it says the lord said to samuel how long will you grieve over Saul since i have rejected him from being king over israel he was basically addressing the situation he was god was telling samuel you know what it's over we talked about this last week you got to get out of your show It's time to move forward. What is he moving forward into? This is what he does. It says, God instructs him and says, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? They were trembling because Samuel was a prophet. So they were like, Dang, he's going to come and tell us something crazy. So they asked him, Do you come peaceably? Chapter 5, he says, And he said, Peaceably. Chill out, guys. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So that's the context we're stepping into here. Um, guys, for you know, all of our people listening and diving into the story, diving into the waves with us today. We want to talk about one man, and that man that we're gonna talk about is David, the young David. I don't know what your what what are your first impressions off David right off the bat, if you were to say what's one word for him? in your opinion?
1: He was, uh, um, he had a lot of val- uh, valor. Tenia mucho valor.
0: He was, he didn't have no fear. Just and, in general though, if you were to say, you know what, one word to summarize everything about David, what is the word? Goliath. Really?
1: Yeah, the big giant.
0: The big giant. Yes, that's when I
1: first, uh, you know, somebody said David, like the, King that's David, the first thing. that's my first thing comes comes out of my mind. Like, right. Like a big, giant that he he killed with with the stone with the slingshot yeah that's cool con la
0: la onda right (laughs) that's cool because you know we're in this case you're someone who's been in the word a lot a lot of time but yeah it's interesting how the most impactful phase of his life is that phase yeah which is the phase that i want to sort of dive deep into today which is the intermittent period from when David goes from his first encounter, which I just kind of read the context. Yes. verse Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 16. And that's the story. That's the plot that we're diving into today. How a kid, because when we we're, we're going to read and continue reading, basically a kid has this encounter and how someone who can go from being just a young boy ends up essentially becoming, as we know, King David. And just sort of to kind of give a little bit of a sneak peek into the future for those of you who don't know in Hebrew culture and in Jewish culture David is huge 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 he's literally on the flag he's on the emblem he's quite literally I know we talked about this last podcast but he's huge to the point where the capital of Israel today is called Jerusalem obviously we know that but Jerusalem actually stands for city of David yeah in Hebrew that that's insane so Clearly, they have a really high value for him in their culture, and we're going to see why. why what, what, what is this king really about? And in my opinion, and in your opinion too, this is such a key stage in his life. And we can kind of, we're going to break this, um, the next series of podcasts up into a couple different phases. The first phase that we touched was obviously the context, everything before David. Today, we're going to take some time, sort of slow it down, and really go into his phase of being a shepherd, how we all know him, you know, he's most famously known for being the author of the Psalms. One of the biggest, most quoted scriptures in all of the Bible is "The Lord is my shepherd." Right? We're going to talk about some uh,
1: uh, Psalm, Psalm twenty-three. 23, yes.
0: twenty-three. El Salmo 23. Yes. Literally, one of the biggest, biggest, biggest texts. Even the,
1: even the uh, Psalm ninety-one. Very right. famous.
0: Huge. Ooh, literally, some of the most memorized and recognizable yes. scripts from the Bible. And it's relating to this time right here. So, this they had,
1: so he had he had a, a big
0: content when he wrote rot. those uh, those psalms, pretty much. Yeah, like basically the psalms. Like we'll get into it, and that like I'm back to this phasing of how we're gonna break it down. I kind of want to go into this phases of by age, the age that okay. that David sort of takes into his life. Obviously, we're gonna start breaking it down specifically, dive into it. But when we're first met with. David on the scene, and it's in his anointing with Samuel and his brothers. The theologians argue that he's about 8 to 15 years old, roughly. He was very young. Very, very young. Eventually, when he becomes king, he's 30 years old. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a big jump. But those 15 years, roughly 15 to 20 years, is what we're going to dive into on this podcast today. And then later on, we're going to get into it. Well, we're going to have a whole episode dedicated to the Psalms. So don't worry about that because there's so much that we can get into to analyze King David's mindset. And that's, you know? what,
1: and that's what they call a poetic um, language mm. in,
0: in the Psalms. That's, that's the way they call it. Right. it. It's a poetic. Almost like a first-person perspective. Yeah. Very personal. Yeah. So it's cool. In my opinion, the Psalms is one of the most unique books. And we're going to dive into that. But let's first break down sort of the story. Let's let's get into some of these big stories, you know, like how you're saying the number one story off the top of your head, David versus Goliath. Everyone can hear that, recognize that. But let's get into maybe some of the stories that probably people don't know, like specifically this whole first story. I'm going to pick it back up in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, verse 6, where it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab. This was his firstborn son of Jesse. Obviously, we know the story it says that Samuel gathers Jesse and his sons to participate in this sacrifice. And and it says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Boom. That right there is going to be our guiding principle for this specific podcast. We're going to talk about the heart. We're continuing our theme and our trajectory from last week and how we can apply this to our lives. But specifically, we're dealing with the heart issue. We know last week that the condition of Saul's heart was not where it needed to be. Here we see God specifically telling Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. Saul was the tallest. Saul was the most handsome. Saul was the one who fit all the boxes. But here we have God saying, you know what? You look at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at something else. I'm looking at the heart. So let's continue. It says, then Jesse called Abinadab. I'm going to skip forward a little bit. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse essentially says that he has... He had brought before Samuel seven sons. Their names are going to be the following. It's going to be Abinadab. He doesn't make the cut. Then Shama. He doesn't make the cut. Then he says, goes through the whole list. And Samuel asks, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Basically, right there, Jesse is telling him, yeah, I have one more son, but he's not hes not prepped for this because you told my sons and myself to consecrate ourselves because we're about to perform a sacrifice. He's tending the sheep. He's not consecrated. He's not ready for this moment is basically what Jesse was telling Samuel. And he's like, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And you have to understand one thing, uh, that that
1: that reunion if we can say that's that's what uh, there was very very important reunion especially because prophet samuel was in the house right it, it was not a, a, a normal person yeah. to to have a prophet that kind of prophet the prophet samuel to be to be in the house of uh, of, of jesse. jesse with with the rest of the family it was a big thing and why not david was there can you imagine, and let's say in the morning, he saw the preparations. Yeah. Uh, somebody special was about going to come to the house, and nobody said,
0: you have to stay. No. And even Jesse himself is giving us insight into this, and he's saying he's keeping the sheep. He's basically saying, no, like, he's, he's not in this. I already told him to do something else. He's not part of the equation. And I think that that's the key here because if we zoom back to the scripture that I paused on, it says that man sees the outward appearance, but I see the heart. Okay. He himself sees the heart, and that's the key here with this boy is he was a shepherd before he was a king. And his aptitude and his ability as a shepherd, that was his life. That's what he took seriously to the point where even though there was a big meeting going on in his house and all his brothers were there, He was not. He was continuing to embark on his mission and his task that had been given to him by who? By his father, Jesse, which was to what? To tend to the sheep. That's big. That's really, really big because here it's showing us the way that David carried himself. He was not a prideful individual. He was not someone who you could say in this instance, had a lot for himself because his job was one of the most simplest jobs, which was to take care of the sheep.
1: And and, and we, we're going to see side by side, I think, why God rejects Saul. Because it, it says right there that he rejected him. It he said, did. Yeah, so we're going to see. I have in my notes here uh, the three things we can say. Three, 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 maybe, three, three, one, two. No, está bien, ahora sí. ¿Ya? Yeah. Ahora, check, one, two. Okay, sigo. So we see three things that the, the soul had. First, he was impatient. Second,
0: he had pride. And third, it was a disobedience. We're, sp- we're speaking specifically on the context that he was in prior to him losing his anointing. We're talking about him being surrounded specifically by his most prominent enemies, which they're so pivotal to this story, and it's a good introduction that we're making to them because Saul continues to exist in the life of yes. David because of the wars that he's fighting, specifically against the Philistines, is where this context that you're describing yes. comes in. So when you say, when,
1: when now How we're looking patient, into, yeah. into David's life, we see a young man obedient to his father. So that's very important because if, if we want to uh, try to qualify ourselves in life to be used by God, we need to be obedient. Even Jesus learned obedience. Obedience is something that you and I learn throughout life. Mm-hmm. And that, right there we see the first
0: um, years of David with davidians right he was just keeping up a simple task he was following what was laid out for him but that specific task that he was doing really what it allowed him to do was to spend time reflecting and to grow it, it says that because we're obviously touching on david and if we read the psalms later on and we start to provide some of this context keep this in your mind Where does someone spend so much time learning? Where does one spend so much time coming up with these deep thoughts that we will eventually touch on in Psalms? You have to reflect on those thoughts. Some of the greatest thinkers throughout all of history, if we are to name people like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Albert Einstein, inventors like Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, it's about reflecting in your time alone. It's about spending those times in isolation that we've talked about so pivotally that are part of your process. And ultimately, what what we're touching on today is David's process that he takes before he becomes king. And that's his time as a shepherd. And that's why we're spending the time to touch on it. And it says, I'll continue to read. Samuel said, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes. And he was handsome. So, although... God told him, don't look at the outward appearance. He did have a good outward appearance. It was just a little bit different than everyone else's. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That's it. Simple. We see there a huge, 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 huge thing go down, as you mentioned. We see the first step in Samuel's life. This is in David's life. Sorry, my mistake. We touched sort of last week how the act of being poured oil over you, it signifies something very specific. It's something known in the Hebrew as to be Messiah, to be Meshiar. And so that is when the fact of oil is poured over you. How interesting is it that As soon as the oil is poured over David's head, immediately it says that the spirit of the Lord falls upon him. That's no coincidence. That's intentional because we saw the same pattern repeat itself with Saul. When Saul was first anointed, he also, it says that the spirit of God rushed upon him. But then interestingly enough, as soon as verse 13 concludes, if I read verse 14 of chapter 16, it says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So there we see sort of the places have switched now. That's why Saul and David are so linked to each other. Because we see the Spirit of God enter one and the Spirit of God leave the other one. That's why they become so linked to each other. Because as we know, David's prophecy and the reason why he was anointed was to be king. He was eventually to take the place Of the person who was currently sitting in that spot. Which was Saul. David wasn't going to go and be king at 8 or 15 years old. It just wasn't part of the logic there. Simply God was calling him. He was already choosing him from this early stage in his life. He was marking him. Setting him aside. And more importantly he was imbuing him with that spirit. Which was basically giving him favor. At that point he had been Messiah. And so really it's crazy because... It says that after the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul specifically, it took place and there was a spirit that started tormenting Saul. And that's where David steps back into the picture. Because this is sort of some context on who David was at the time. Basically what he was doing while he was in the service in the pasture is that he would take care of the sheep. He would tend to the sheep, whatever that included, walking them, feeding them, you know, hurting them, guiding them, trimming their coats, whatever it may be, protecting them in a lot of instances, defending them against attacks from different types of things, whether that be forces of nature or whether that be physical obstacles like cliffs, mountains, whatever it may be. But in addition to that, David had a very unique characteristic, and that's that he was skilled in doing one thing in addition to being a shepherd. Do you know what that thing was? He used to play. Exactly. Music. He was a musician. Yeah. So if we read the context of that, I'm reading from chapter from verse fifteen. I'm still in chapter sixteen. It says, And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. The lyre is a stringed instrument. For those of you who don't know. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of these young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing. A man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. And the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent to the messengers of sent messengers to Jesse and said Send me David your son who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him.
1: One of the things it says right there, that, and, and I know what you're reading in some of the um, um, versions of the Bible says that an evil spirit from the Lord came. Right, that's that's what it says, right? Yeah, but you know, it's it it, it, it was not the Lord sent the bad spirit because something happened to Saul. It says that that the spirit of the Lord departed. What does what we're saying is that when the spirit of the Lord depart from him, okay, remember that he was walking. In disobedience, he was walking impatiently. He was walking the way that it, it was not pleased to God. Right. So what I'm trying to say is that when we walk that way, we open ourselves to these things that, that sometimes we, we, all of a sudden we start receiving oppression Yeah. because he, he was oppressed. And it's not because the Lord sent the oppression. We have, right. to, we have to make very clear this is not God sends the oppression. It's is the way we walk, is the way that, and especially because the spirit of the Lord depart from him. Now, that's a spirit that's the, the spirit world. If we can say that, that's that the spiritual world. It, it, he he needs to have somebody with the anointing with the Spirit of
0: God to deal with that tormented spirit because he was tormented. More than anything, though, I think it's it's simpler than that because he was becoming almost, you could think of it, paranoid yeah. in that sense. That impatience, mm-hmm. that, you know, en español, desesperación, that desperation. That's a mindset. That That's not anything more. That's not anything less. That's simply a mindset. You know, obviously, in this case, his servant's, labeled the situation a certain way and we're like oh you have something tormenting you but in reality you torment yourself he was tormenting himself whatever thoughts were consuming him whatever it might be right you could see there that the mindset that Saul was entering into he was just going in circles essentially he was looping himself into these thoughts he was at war and you know he was restless but there we see a transition from David's position because he's no longer in his father's service. Now he's in the service of the court of Saul, specifically as his armor bearer. And in a very, very specific role, obviously, as we mentioned, what was his pivotal function was being a musician, being someone who could minister to Saul, if you want to kind of put it that way. He was using his musicianship. He was using his gift as a tool. But at the end of the day, really, I think that what it says that he gained favor and it says that he was loved by Saul. And ultimately there, that, that just goes back to confirm the original thought that we were saying, how his afflictions would go when he would change his thoughts, when he would change his mindset, when instead of being so worried about consuming something, he was loving. And how you can simply change your mindset, how we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, how sometimes being a little bit nicer or showing a little bit of love can have a huge impact on how you carry yourself and how you think. And there we see it. And it says that Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. So what a coincidence, right? It wasn't necessarily a quote-unquote, you know, spirit from the Lord that was sent directly to attack him, but rather his mindset shifted, if we want to put it into that perspective, by spending time with someone who was a little bit different, who carried themselves a little bit different, right? Cool. But then what happens after that? He's serving in the court. He's being... He's being under the tutelage of Saul. He's growing in knowledge. He's growing in his ability also because he's continuing to, to do what his role is. He's no longer a shepherd, but now he's a musician. So he continues to develop himself in that, right? But then this is what happened. We can go into your favorite story that you say when you think about King David. That's it right there. First Samuel chapter 17. What does it tell us?
1: Well, that's when uh, David confront Goliath. But uh, before we go that, uh, before we go that, wh- what type of um, instrument uh, David uh, was playing? What, what did because you're a musician, yeah? Because you really like to play music, and how how important is music? Because right there was he was hired, he was come to serve not as a, as a shepherd, but as a musician, and we see right there the importance of music, right? right? So that, that's a very important thing.
0: So where he learn music? Right. That, that's yeah. ultimately, it's funny, right? Where did he learn music? Because it says that his Saul's servants saw him playing because they were looking for a very skilled player. That, that's the word that the text uses. It says someone with great skill. How do you develop skill as a musician? The only way to develop skill as a musician is to practice. Practice, 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 practice. practice. What does that tell me? That tells me that in order for him to be skillful, he needed to have spent time with his instrument, known it, known it more than anything because his ability to play it got him a job working for, for the king. If you want to bring it into modern context, that's his gig that's his job, right? He not gets paid, but in that time he gets compensated for being and playing the lyre, his musician, his instrument. So what does that tell me? It's a very valuable time that you spend in practice. It's a time of isolation, as I touched on before. It's a time where no one else holds you accountable except for yourself. And that process of investing in yourself is what we see in David to bring it to our modern context. And it's that investing in yourself is the best and the most foundational thing you could do. And it's, what's, it's what sometimes you think about your process of preparation as like, oh, you ask yourself, man, I have no purpose. I don't know what I'm doing. Why does God have me here? Or why am I doing this? But realize that that process of preparation, although you may not see it in that moment, it says that the servants saw him. Yeah. So you never know who's looking at you but you always got to be ready for the opportunity to step up to when you get called on to play in the presence of the King. Are you ready? Are you skilled in your ability? But more importantly than that, I think it's very important. What would happen when David played his instrument, because that's a whole other topic that we can really get into from a worship perspective. What that's telling me is that David lived his life in a posture of worship because in order for you to be able to, when you play your instrument, when you express yourself for literally an oppressive presence to leave the room, you can bring that into whatever you want to say. In order for you to have an impact surrounded by whoever is surrounded by, you need to live a certain life or you need to have put in a certain amount of work. You need to have put in a certain amount of time in a secret place of preparation in your own heart in order for that display of emotion and of power to come out whenever you're executing your craft, and that that's what we see from David. You know, what what other part of that is is impactful to you?
1: It, it what is? Um, I was thinking right now um, that it was it was key when he was anointed because we we're gonna see we're gonna see David was anointed three times. Mm-hmm. Right there, that's the first time that he's right. anointed. What it, it really when I get my attention here is because we see Lucifer, the Kerwin wow. the, the, the that was in God's presence, it says that he was anointed. It was a, a, a anointed Kirwin. What does it mean that the anointing that was upon David, it, it prepared him to 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 that specific moment, to that specific time of life. Of David, it's a key. You practice, you put yourself in what you have and your gift and your talent, if we can say that. You put the time in, yes. But you, you, we have this element, the anointing, like you said. You know, we've been talking about what is to be anointed. Your purpose the, to your be purpose. called. Yeah. Your purpose to be called. So David was anointed. He's first anointed because he had a purpose now. He carries something in himself. Something that other people when 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 they saw David, he said, that kid. Correct. That one. So that's what that's what the anointing makes in our life. The anointing upon your life, is it is it, it, not you um, putting a big banner, like I'm here the big musician, I'm here this, I have this bad. No. The anointing it, it makes room. For your ministry. The anointing make room for your destiny, for your purpose. Your purpose. That's you under, it, that's, that's what happened with David. What I Basically, see is that the anointing, yeah. when the anointing hit, the anointing came upon him, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and that started preparing
0: David to something gray. Because I'll bring it into this context, even go a little deeper there. The liar is essentially for those of you who know music, it's similar to an to a harp. And if you know what a harp is, it's an extremely complex instrument to play. If I were to put it basically, a lyre is a mini harp. So if David was eight to 15 years old, first and foremost, it would most likely take at least five years of learning with note. first of all, Let's say from zero to five, he's not going to have an instrument in his hand. Then from five to ten years old, which is the period in between he might have been called. So think about how much time he had to spend developing that. But more importantly, how much time did he have to spend in the secret place or in those moments of preparation to be able to be in that situation? Right. Because if he had not been, that's what, that, that's, what that's telling me, that the anointing ultimately allowed him to gain the favor. He was playing already for years. Yes. But it wasn't until specifically he was basically activated or he recognized his purpose that that's when other people started to recognize him. So to touch on your point that you made earlier, sometimes a lot of people get caught up in those phases of not being able to like, oh, man, I don't know when my time is or, man, I don't feel like I'm being recognized or, man, the spotlight's not on me. But realize that sometimes you would need to put in the effort first and put in the preparation and let everything else fall into its own place. This is a big, big, big concept that I want to touch on specifically to all the young people listening today. It's like we get sometimes get so caught up into this like, man, I want to I wanna start a new task. I don't know. Let's say I want to become an entrepreneur. And, man, I started a new business today. And you expect it to be ready tomorrow. Or you expect for somehow you to be recognized or for you to be equipped or already on your platform when you haven't invested the time. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that David gained favor with Saul. David gained favor amongst the people who were looking at him, but he wasn't looking for that favor. He was simply doing what he was called to do. He was simply living in his quote-unquote purpose without him even knowing it. So what does that tell me as a young person? That's basically telling me to sometimes I need to just put my head down and grind and allow the all the other pieces to fall into play because that's what we see in the model of David. David was a shepherd first. He was following the obedience under his father's instruction while investing in something that he was passionate about, music, and learning how to be skillful in that ability. Doing that, following his passion while staying in obedience, ultimately led him the door to have the internship of a lifetime, if you want to put it that way. He got to work with the king. He got to be in the palace. He got to be with Zuck, with Bezos. <laughs> if you're a coder, if let's say you're an inventor and you're an entrepreneur, you want to be with the king.
1: You got hired by Apple.
0: You got hired by Apple to be a musician. <laughs> you
1: got you, No, not got hired. You, you got called.
0: You got recruited.
1: You got recruited to. You didn't go- even
0: apply. No. You see? And sometimes that's even more powerful because you let your talent speak for itself, ultimately, is what David did.
1: I think I'm going to go a little bit more than, the, than just the talent and all that, the favor of God. Yeah. That's when I, I'm, I'm going to say to um, my brothers and my sister that are going to be listening to this podcast that, yes. You, you work hard because you're going to work hard. I, I don't think God choose people, you know, all random Because right. we see in the life of um, different uh, servants of God, they went through a process. Even Jesus went through a process. We see uh, uh, he study and we got the spirit of the Lord came upon him. We saw Paul. And I think this is very important. Do not be impatient. Just wait for your moment. Mm. And this year, 2022, it can be the year of God's favor over your life. That's fire. Maybe God is 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 is, is been putting you all these years. Maybe in the pandemic, I think if the pandemic for many people is is like a waste of time. But they might have seen it as a waste yeah, of time. For, for many of us, for me, it, it birthed something in my spirit. Right, it, something came out in these two years. Something you went through a process i went through a process but the key is that see sometimes we see how other people are struggling and and we got so caught up that people are struggling and we are part of that struggling but when we understand we have a purpose in life that we have something god will take care of us because god took to take care of, it, of david and now he got a what we call a promotion yeah are you ready for a promotion I'm asking you. Ask yourself: Are you ready for a promotion? What you've been doing all these all these Facts. years? What you've been doing? You're not gonna get promoted if you're not been working on what you need to be working. And especially those young men that they wanna be, it, it, be the next influence. You need to do something. You need to to, to like David. He be was productive. Be productive. We have 24 hours a day. What do you do with those 24 hours?
0: Because let's assume that David had not been practicing. Let's say he hadn't touched the liar in weeks. He wouldn't have got the job. Uh, oh, no. More than anything, the favor wouldn't have been over his life because he hadn't been putting in the time in the process. That's ultimately, you know, where we get to allow yourself to be put through the process because the favor will come. Yes. And we see that right here in this story that we're about to touch. Not only did he have favor in front of the king, he had a special ability that makes him extremely unique. I'm going to ask you a question. Right?
1: What kind of music was David was playing or to who was addressing to his music? Because that's, that's, that's something... Like we can say who he was addressing to the music. Like today, you, you you have a songs, you play it, you sing it to a girl, to a man, to a family. What kind of music what
0: what were his letters? Because we see the psalms. Yeah. It's like that's the evidence for all of this. Yes, you can base yourself on the psalms, and essentially what a psalm is, if you break down the hebrew word it means song psalm means song and so the whole book of psalms is structured in a poetic structure as we addressed. specifically david almost he understood the concept of levite because he he used certain tools like the selah the ephraim so he structured his psalms in ways that we know he was a skilled musician where do you learn how to be a musician it was in the temple There was no other context for music at the time because if you practiced music in any other context besides the worship of God, it was seen as blasphemy. It was seen as wrong or as like corrupt. So he learned how to be a musician at the tabernacle, at the temples, in the synagogues because let's not forget he's from Bethlehem. He's from the same cities where Jesus grew up in. So it's the same Growing up in the tutelage of a rabbi, growing up in learning how to be a Levite, he studied it, and we see the evidence of that in the Psalms. So we know what kind of music he was playing. Mm. You can kind of think of it, it's his his originals, like how nowadays you might have an original artist. He wasn't doing covers because we see that in the Psalms, all of it is original. And we even see some of the language he uses to describe in the psalms his time in the fields, yes, yes. And so that, that's my point, yeah, that's ultimately the segue, the link, right? We know the evidence of what he's his time that he spent in the fields because that's where he spent most of his clear early age being formed. He isn't called to the temple when he's barely a little kid. We know that he's anointed and he has already been in the fields. You can't become a shepherd if you don't know how to take care of sheep. So we know that he had been putting in the time in all of these areas. And the evidence of that is in the Psalms of how he describes that he'd wake up at midnight and that the praises that let my soul sing to you. That's ultimately the posture of David, because we saw what was the key verse that we read at the beginning. Chapter 16, it says that for man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. That's the evidence of his heart. His heart was pointed in the right direction. His, that's the whole clear glue that brings all of this together. It says David was a man after God's own heart, right? And being after his heart is what ultimately leads him to these crazy scenarios that he finds himself in. Let's dive into the next scenario. Like, literally, the movie, the big, big one, you know? Talk about that. It says
1: in verse uh, uh, 1, 1 uh, Samuel chapter 17. Now it says, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled a Sokot in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephesus, between Sokob and Hasekah. So, and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines.
0: What did we just read there? We basically read a crazy description about a bunch of different territories. But all of these territories are referred basically to be under the, at the time, you could think of it as Israel kingdom. But they technically weren't a full full kingdom there. They were still divided into multiple tribes. They were still divided into multiple, quote-unquote, minor kingdoms. But specifically, the biggest ones were the one of Judea. And then the rest of the tribes of Benjamin sort of gathered together. And, of course, they were all being attacked by different tribes of people. But specifically, the one that Saul fought time and time and time again are these that we just introduced, the Philistines. Now, who are the Philistines? What, what, what are these guys? What, what are they? In Hebrew culture, they're seen as the antagonists to the Israel people. Every single time that the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, try to rise up, the Philistines are always there knocking on their heels. It's always some group that is trying to be and to oppress them. But specifically, the Philistines were an interesting type of of group because it says on verse 4, chapter 17, that they had a very specific type of people. And it says, and there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He aren't, and so basically six cubits, kind of bring it into today's context, right? That's not six feet tall. No, no, no. And we're not even talking about like Yao Ming, like seven feet tall, or even like LeBron James, or like some of these big tall guys. No, no, no. Six cubits equates to about 10 feet tall. That's huge it was a huge guy how tall am i i'm like six feet tall right this guy is four feet taller than me he's taller than i can stretch my hands that's a big person you can almost consider it we all know it a giant now here's a crazy part because let's just describe what he was fitted with right it says he had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail chain mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. This is a huge guy. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out? Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, check this out. This is crazy. I defy the ranks of israel this day give me a man that we may fight together when saul and all israel heard these words of the philistine they were dismayed and greatly afraid look at that one man makes an entire army quake fear why what's so crazy about this man what's so why why is he this big force why why is he obviously he's 10 feet tall So let's ask ourselves, where the heck does the 10-foot-tall human being even come from? The tallest person, I think, today, if you probably look up the world record, is like seven-something. But 10 feet tall? And to be stacked like that? He says he had shekels of iron, shekels of bronze. His spear was literally huge. If you think about the proportions of a spear to, like, like, a Roman warrior, it's bigger than the warrior. And if this guy's 10 feet tall, how tall is his spear? Like another 15 feet, 20 feet? What do you think about that? Uh, it was a
1: big guy. And, uh, I mean... Do you have any context on this? Like, well, where does this come from? Yeah. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. We're going to see something that we see this this giant, Goliath. You know... Hey, why it, why it, did it, you it, say
0: it was your favorite story? Why?
1: Because it, it is, It's my Explain favorite story because, like, uh, you know... Since little kid, you see, like you want to be a hero. You know, heroes play with bad guys. So when in the in the Sunday Bible school, when they used to teach us, you know, a, a small kid, a small young man, killing a big giant. It was a big giant with the with the slingshot going on the it was crazy. It was like with this with the rock, with the slingshot, killing a giant. Where he gets that power, where he gets that a So for me, it's like wow. And then when you apply it, is is it big? But let's 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 read Genesis chapter six because there is something very powerful right there. We're gonna see. And and it says, um, and uh, can you read uh, verse uh, one, Genesis chapter six? Look at what happened right there.
0: When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive.
1: Okay, okay, pause right there. When it says right there, the sons of God, they were referring to the angels. That's right Whoa. there when they said the sons of God, they
0: referring to the angels. Continue. The, and they took as their wives and any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown.
1: So what it says right there, the Nephilim.
0: The Nephilims.
1: It, the, the, it was the combination of angels and humans. Whoa. The Nephilim, they were giants. Yeah, that's what it there says was, in my footnotes. There was, you know? there was race, a special race. Okay? Of humans. Uh, humans. And, and when you see in movies, when you see that, it's it, 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 right there, it's right there. The the, the the angels. Which angels? Because this is the key part. Which angels? Remember, when Lucifer re- rebelled against God, it says, th- uh, th- uh, a third, a third of the angels what came with him. Right. So these angels saw the daughters of men, and what they united, and now we have the Nephilim. we have the giants, and that's when when we see this big Goliath. giant Goliath.
0: He's a descendant from that race of he's, people.
1: Is a descendant of of type of people. Right. Giant, big guys. They, they, they were, I mean, they were not normal people. They were they, were special people. So can you imagine David, a young man, facing this big giant? That was
0: all the army of Israel. They were dismayed you and see? greatly afraid. That's the context that and we're he, establishing. And now. he just kind of like, send me a man. Not even the whole army, just send me a man. He wanted to do what is known as the right of conquest via champion, which is a strategy of war used in this time. Now, keep in mind, this is all way, way back in the day. So, like, we see this whole, like, showboating and we see the Philistine. Basically, we see the Philistine army because they were not able to be successful in seizing the city via, like, strategic war efforts. What they did is they surrounded the city and basically said, all right, we're going to go one-on-one. And if you guys beat us, we serve you. And if you guys beat us, you serve us. That's it. It's a very simple structure. But obviously the Philistines were smart. They recruited someone from literally a race of giants where we're talking about someone who came from the offspring of literally angels and humans. So it's like not a normal person being matched up. No one wanted to, Step up to the challenge. That's basically what was going on here. The Philistine army was for days. And so what happens? At that time, basically, we're going to read verse 12 of chapter 17. And it says, Now David was the son of an, of an Ephraite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of his three sons who went into battle were Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah. We've heard these names before. They were in they were the same brothers who were there when David got anointed. Yeah. But so basically David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Check that out right there. So we read earlier that David had been entrusted or had been recruited to be in the temple serving with Saul. But not only that, it says he would go back and forth. He continued to be a shepherd. Yes. If we're to bring it back into the principle that you established, at first he continued to walk in obedience, not only to Saul the king, but to his father. He continued to do it, right? Anyways, and for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening same challenge for 40 days send me a man who's going to fight me and if he wins we're your servants if you if i win you're my servants 40 days 40 nights and can you imagine david he's going back and forth through all of this he's with saul he's at the campgrounds then he's going back to his house he's with his brothers he's essentially serving as an emissary he's kind of all over the place but every single day for 40 days he sees this guy challenging the army.
1: I, I don't know if you have noticed, but the Bible it's it's it is very um how many years the people of Israel were in the desert? Do you remember? 40. How many days Jesus was fasting and praying in the desert? 40.
0: The flood? 40. Forty. So 40. What's up with 40? Tell me. Okay, 40. Why not 50 cents? Yeah. <laughs>
1: Next podcast, we're gonna we're gonna bring some Dang. information about 40. Okay, because forty is a key number in the Bible.
0: Yeah, it most likely has because here's the thing, we can get into the study of like numerology and all those sort of things, which if you're curious about that, best believe we're gonna get into the waves on that one. But he just picked us for our next podcast, so y'all got to come back for that one. But that's fire because it says that 40 days that they were being challenged. They were in this hiatus. They were in this sort of like a pause moment, which is what the 40 oftentimes represents. But basically what happens is Jesse prepares a care package, and he gives it to David, and he says, all right, take it to your brothers, but also take these cheeses your commander so now we we see that david is going to enter into the encampment of the of the generals he's going to be with saul he's going to be with abner all right so it says verse 19 now um now saul and they and all the men of israel were in the valley of elah fighting with the philistines and david rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went notice there that he didn't leave the sheep unattended he was continuing to follow his responsibilities and continuing to be obedient. He never once left that. That, that. If that's not a lesson to you, I don't know what is. Don't let your responsibilities slack. No matter what, stay committed to what you need to be obedient to. Whatever that may be, that could be a lot of different things for you. But continue to stay obedient. If I'm going to bring that into the local context, if you're serving in a local church serve and love your pastor if you're on a worship ministry team serve and love your leader simple if you're in a relationship love and honor that person if you are choosing to call yourself a quote-unquote son of god walk in what obedience looks like. that's what david is showing us right there that his dad tells him to do one thing he does it but that doesn't mean that he stops doing all the other things that were still on his plate
1: he didn't run away and said, This is my opportunity. Bye, see you
0: later. He wasn't looking at it from no, that perspective. No. He had a different mindset.
1: That's that's very important to see. Yeah. Kind of like focus that I like I like what you just stop by and say, you know what? Because once again, we have to we have to understand that we need to work as a team.
0: Yeah. And that's the principle we see here with David. We also see the simple principle of Like staying true in the process, loving the process. So that's a big one, love the process. But look at what happens. It says while he's loving the process, he took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle lines, shouting the war cry. So look at that. He shows up to the encampment right as the Philistines are beginning their little scene and their little or their little show that we had already been talking about and look at what happens and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers as he talked with them behold the champion the Philistine of Gath Goliath by name came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. What did he hear? He heard the Philistine defying the armies of Israel and saying, yo, who's going to fight me right now? So check it out. This is what happens. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Check that out right there, man. We got a kid.
1: See that? That's why. That's why for <laughs> me. That's for me. This is. This is so. This is a movie. Yeah, it is. So that's what I told you. Well, you really I like have, this yeah, part. That's, I that's mean, dope. when you read it, when it's kind of like you know what a big moment because we have to remember that it was a big army.
0: Two big armies, right there,
1: right face there, to face, and yeah. just one man, just one giant, for forty days, kept just kept spreading what. Spreading fear. Fear. It, it was right that fear over forty. Day. Can you imagine living forty days under the oppression of fear? It because just one word. It was. The, it was like, "Come, send me," and nobody wanted to go. Yeah. And sometimes we live like that. We live throughout our life, fearing the big
0: giant, and. But something happened. But you then. need to have that mindset that David had. David was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. What's going to be done? Because he was already seeing, like, this is, he called, he insulted him. He said, You're an uncircumcised Philistine. If we are to go back, the word uncircumcised is key there. But you can almost think of it as like an insult, like telling him the dirtiest thing he could tell him because of what the context. Any any Jew reading this, reading uncircumcised, would make a disgusting face at that human. It'd be like, that's like a not even worth a speck of dust, basically, is what he was telling him. And he says that dares defy the armies of the living God. So right there we see David's real focus. He's like, No, 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 no. What are they gonna do once I kill him? Because he's defying the armies of the living God. That's what he asks. And they answered him because we read, it says that Saul will give him his his daughter and give him riches and make sure he's good. So look at what happens, right? His brothers are there because we know that David was going because of his brothers. And Eliab, his eldest brother, when, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Check that out. His brother was like, bro, why are you here? I know you, <laughs> bro. You just want to see some some evil stuff go down. And he, he even defies him. He's like, who'd you leave the sheep with? But we know who he left the sheep with. So we know that David is actually not in a bad spot. He's not in disobedience. He's not... He has every right to be there because his dad sent him for his brothers. And so he tells him, uh, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Meaning like, dude, I didn't even say anything. I was just asking what's going on. And he says, right there, uh, I'm reading in verse 28 to 29. 29. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? Verse 30. And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. Now, let's keep in mind, Saul and David know each other. They're not strangers. So he sent for him, meaning, no, 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 I need my guy. What's going on here? So this is what happens. And Saul said to David, he says, In verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him, 32, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, meaning the Philistine, meaning the giant. He addressed the heart. He said, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, he's saying me, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Now, I want to zoom out a little bit because the context of the of the army back in the day is that you needed to be of a minimum. And this is we find these this evidence in one of the ancient Hebrew texts that a lot of uh, like Jewish scholars and a lot of theologians, even in Christianity, regard as, you know, having valid historical context. It's the Talmud from the Jewish faith. And it says that in order for you to be in the army, you needed to be of 20 years old. So Saul is telling him, dude, you're a kid. You can't even technically be in the army. You don't have the age. You're not old enough. Yeah, You're not old enough. And this guy is a man of war. He's been in war since he was a baby. So then this is what happens. Now we have two people telling David, you don't qualify. You shouldn't be here. What are you doing? His brother. His brother, his older brother, and now the king, someone who he spends time with. But David said to Saul, verse 34, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Dang! You see, I told that's you that's dope.
1: I told you, I told you, I told you that's where I like this story because he he, he was right there. He
0: was yeah. he, he had no fear because the the king tells him, dude, you don't know about war.
1: Yeah, he's like.
0: But I've done this. I
1: I think I think I know more than you guys know because he used to. Now you have to remember one thing that I mean, a lion. That was not like a small.
0: Do you know how big a lion is? Let's look up the stats on that real quick.
1: Uh, And uh, it was a big, big lion, a big, big bear, and he used to win right there, and and he was like a small young man. Can you imagine facing yourself a big, a big lion? hack no. he had no fear david had no fear in the inside of him to to face the lions to face the the birds you know and and that's very crucial because when he's when he saw goliath it, for him was this is one more it was one more and one of the keys here i think that we have to emphasize it was he was not looking the, the, the natural sources. Right. He was looking God. Because he said he.
0: He was plugged into
1: that. A, yeah. a, his mind. His eyes. Oh, he said. He said. Este está desafiando
0: al ejército de quien. Because well, let's read it. It says 37. And David said, the Lord. You see? Who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me. From the hand of the Philistine, he
1: had experience. An experience with this God, he knew. He, he knew God. He 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 personally knew God. His power, his because he had seen it being a shepherd. Yes, you see, and that's 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 when we see God calling David after after his own heart, because we we saw it before. We talk about it. What he was doing,
0: he was taking the... the, How much attention he put to the sheep. His own brother came at him arguing, dude, you left the sheep. But that goes back to our original point that we were talking about, about walking in obedience and how it's your process. Because again, we see David showing up to the platform, showing up to the stage, but being extremely well-equipped. Extremely well-equipped. You know how big lions are? How big? Seven feet long. Wow. And you know how much they weigh? 400 to 600 pounds. Wow. You know how big a bear is? Bigger. Eight feet tall and can weigh up to 600 pounds. So who literally, he had put the reps in. If we talk about practice, he had practiced fighting a bear and practiced fighting a lion. But where do, what if he had never been a shepherd? What if he had never stuck to the obedience that it took to be a shepherd? What if he had never spent the time in the fields? Because again, we can touch back on Psalms and he gets he zooms out on this metaphor of being saved from the hand of your oppressor in Psalm 91. It says, "Who shall free me from the shadow of the Al que me oprime, quien me librará de la peste destructora? Who will free me of this?" He knows where he's re- relying on. He knows where his ultimate fuel tank is he knows that he can fight Goliath because he's been able to defeat a bear. He's been able to defeat the lion, right? What's 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 so cool about that? When I, uh, you, I have some. Um, I have a
1: message that I have prepared many years ago, and I have preached it about. It says, "What you are gonna do with the lion and the bear?" And one of the thing is if we can say, you know. In the natural, you're not gonna face a lion. No, you might. (laughs) Well, but look at this. Look at this. This is what what I have over the years put in this, and I have you know preached it many times. Is the characteristic of a bear, because this is this is this is the enemy. Characteristics of the bear. The birds have a short vision. So what does it mean? When you and I have short vision of of our purpose, of our future, we face this giant. We face this enemy.
0: The metaphorical bear.
1: Yes. We need to have a vision. David had a vision of what? How God was... Victory. victory. Taking the W. Yes. So you have to see your problems, not like big things that are going to stop you. You You need to learn... To see the victory before you have it, before you experience, and, that, and that's when David said, "You know, I killed the bird." In other words, it says that the birds have uh, a short vision. Look at the birds; they like to. Yo lo tengo en español. Es un animal que se queja mucho. Bears like to complain. You see, we what we do in our life, we complain a lot. We need to stop complaining. Oh, I don't feel good. I cannot do it. I don't want to... Complaining. David, look it. He didn't complain. Oh, I have to take care of the shit. Oh, I have to do this. He made it work. He made it work with what? With obedience.
0: Right. That's dope.
1: Le gusta vivir a solas. En otras palabras, es un animal muy aislado.
0: Bears. Yeah, they're solitary animals. Yeah. We need to overcome
1: Isolation. If you live isolated, you you put yourself to to just by yourself. So David have to move. Yeah. And also, los, los osos le gusta vivir en cuevas oscuras. Bears like to live in dark caves. Dark caves. I can go. I can go more and more. But David said. The Lord helped me to kill the bird and the lion. He understood already the victory. So, in order to have big victories, you need to experience God and the small victories. And the small fights, if we can say it. For the a big victory is waiting, but you need to learn to win in the small fights.
0: And we all know we have a small fights every day. You're always going to be tested when no one's looking. You're tested in the pastures. He was a shepherd. He was by himself. The only thing watching him were his sheep. He was defending the sheep. He was not doing it for accolades. He was not doing it for merit. He was doing it because it was his task. Uh, Like how you're saying, if we bring it into a practical perspective, the lion and the bear are going to attack. They're always going to come and attack. But when you fight those battles... You need to realize that you have everything inside of you. You've already been equipped. You've already been, you have everything that you need inside of you to overcome that, which is the mindset that David walked into that battlefield with. He stepped in with the mindset fresher. You can kind of think of it, I've always thought about this a lot. I've been like, well, David hadn't been there for those 40 days. But the reality is the the scripture tells us he was. He had been walking back and forth. So it's not a matter of, oh, his mindset he wasn't like the other soldiers he wasn't as afflicted he, no he was he had seen it all but he still walked in a certain level of confidence he still walked with a certain level of in this case you know what you can call it faith because without that I faith right
1: there right there
0: without the faith that he that he had in himself but also in god to know that the same way that when i fought the lion and i fought the bear god was with me i know he'll be with me right now
1: Uh, Yeah, also we have to give honor to deserves honor. Right. Because he said, The Lord that gave me the victory will give me the victory again. You see. So we have to recognize
0: who to give honor. Right. Let's continue. It's crazy because then what happens next is that Saul does something. That's a little bit symbolic, but I was diving into this super, super cool um, podcast from, from a rabbi from a Hebrew faith, and he was explaining this perspective of, it says that Saul calls David a youth. He says, you're still a kid. You're not fit for this, right? But interestingly enough, in verse 38, it says, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head. Clothe him with the coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Does it not surprise you, because this surprised me, if he's a kid, right? And I know if you guys listen to all the podcasts from last week's podcast, what was one of the big factors in Saul? It says that he was the tallest man. And above, heads above so many. So if we're to put it in a practical perspective, I'm taller than you, right? If I were to give you my T-shirt right now, do you think it'll fit you? I don't think so. It's not going to fit you, for sure. You don't fit it. You don't fit what I fit. But yet somehow Saul's armor fit David, even though it says that he was a youth. So in other words, David was already at the physical level of Saul, even Mm. though he had been a youth. What does that tell me right there? Again, the big topic of this podcast, the process of preparation, he already had physically matured to a point where he could stand toe-to-toe and side-to-side to the king to the point where he could f- put his armor on, wear it, and be not comfortable in it because obviously it says that he tried to use it, but he couldn't. But he didn't. it didn't work not because it didn't fit him, but it didn't work simply because he was not used to it. Yes. That's and, that, right. and that's the deep part right there. That sometimes you will be sent out with something that like, hey, you know what? Try this technique. Try this approach. Here, use my armor. Hey, I've already gone through it. This is what I used to fight. But what, what we see there is that David had a different anointing. Although he could fit that same mold and fit that same vessel and take a victory the same exact way as Saul had before, he didn't. He said, you know what? This is what David says. I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Instead of taking a sword, a shield, and armor like Saul might have, David's tools and his weapons for warfare were his shepherd's crook, his shepherd's pouch, and his sling. Why? Because he had already put those through a process. He knew his tools, (laughs) if you want to think about it that way. He said, you know how I'm going to defeat him? How I've already been taught to defeat them. I'm not going to fight him in maybe the head knowledge of someone else, but I'm going to fight him in the knowledge of what was inside of me. We go back to who he's honoring there, where he knows his strength is coming from. So can we say that that
1: if we can bring it right here in context, what we're talking about is that maybe your strategies might not work
0: for my victories. Right. Right? Everyone's strategies to victory. Like I said before, you have already been equipped with everything that you need when you've chosen to invest in the process. Yes, because sometimes
1: we put more more attention on what other people have than what what we have received, what God has Invested your purpose. Yes, yeah. my 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 anointing. Your talents. Sometimes we see, and we're we're talking about the people that is in the ministries, the people that serve in churches. Sometimes we more focus in other people's anointing. Oh, look at that preacher. Oh, look at that musician. Oh, look at that. And we wanna. Sometimes we don't see ourselves that we have received from God something, but in the moment you. Put attention in what you have received, and you grow. That's the key. When you grow. Get skilled. And and when you understand what you have received, that's when you're going to see victories. I cannot, I'm not a musician. You are. Put me with a piano, I will look at it. Right? But let's say, if you give me a a Bible, and you say, uh, Pastor, can you preach out out of anything that comes out? Why? Because I've been trained to what? To see the word of God. And for you, maybe it might take some time. So that's what I'm trying to say is this, that your, your strategies that the Lord have given you, you need to practice. You need to really until the moment that the anointing of God will prepare you for these opportunities. And that that's, that's something very powerful, what you just said, because that's when Saul started looking at David in a different way
0: you start to see, guess what? You know what? This guy can yeah. fit what I fit. And so now this is this is the crazy part I wanted to touch on that is think about it however perspective you want to think about it. But more importantly, think about it in the following perspective, right? Everyone's going to face a Goliath. At any point in your life, you're going to have it. Whether you choose to believe in faith, whatever you believe in, check it out. There's going to come a point in your life where the opportunities and the obstacles that are stacked up against you are going to seem huge. They're going to seem daunting, whether that may be a new job, whether that may be a new relationship, whether that may be dealing with your past, whether that may be confronting, but check it out. The ultimate goal here that we want to touch on is that you, whatever process that you've been going through in your life has been for a purpose. Don't forget that. Because, Whatever you've been equipped to face, you're going to have that when you're when the time comes for your big battle. David said that he hadn't tested the armor. That's why he didn't use it. He's not saying, hey, armor is ineffective because we know later on if we're to fast forward that he becomes a warrior himself. Eventually he is able to wield swords, to wield armor. He's not saying that it's not effective. What he's saying is that I myself me, David, I'm not going to defeat my Goliath with your tools. I'm yeah. going to defeat the Goliath that I have in front of me with what I have been through in my process. So don't forget that. Don't forget that your process is unique to you. It might be different than than than
1: the person next to you. And, yeah. and, 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 uh, in the Spanish version, it says that I have not practiced. Wow. That's what in the, the Spanish. In the I, Spanish. Yeah, NIV. And, yeah. and I, I have never said. Practice. That's Never it.
0: practice. He wasn't scared of the armor. No. Or he, he fit him, but he was like, this is not what I'm used to. Let me use what I've practiced. And that's ultimately part of your process. Because look at what happens. It says that he takes the stones from the river. Right? And what does he do? It says, then, and the Philistine moved forward and came near to David, with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Ready? Am I a dog that you have come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Check that out. The Goliath, this huge 10-foot man, sees the little kid come up to him with, with sticks, basically. And he's like, bro, you think I'm a dog? Like, you know, He's like, this guy's not going to do anything. But look at what David does, right? And he says this. Verse what? I'm reading 45? now 44. 44, yeah. yeah. And now 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it to you in your hands. That's the revelation we were touching on that we were breaking down. David was stepping in and saying, guess what? I've won the battle because he's already won the battle. It's his battle. You're stepping into this with your sword, with your spear, with your physical things. He steps into this in a realm Way different than yours, buddy. He's telling them, you think that you're a heavyweight hitter, but you have not fought the champ. The Lord of hosts, he's of the, the armies, he's the champ. You might call yourself a champion, but he is the champion. One of the things
1: uh, I was I was looking at it is that, remember that Goliath for 40 days was speaking. He was saying, you know, uh, desafiando al ejército. Now David. He's expressing himself. He's opening his mouth. Because that's one of the things you said, faith. If we see right. if we see all this, faith. Sometimes we can have faith, but we don't we don't express it. We don't declare it. We we don't we don't say it's not our own words, but what the Lord have said said it is it, it, is not it's not by mind, it's not by power, but by my spirit, said the Lord,
0: because the barrel belongs to who? To him, It says for that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, how you might think, but rather the battle is the Lord's, which means he owns the battle. He has the battle. It's not with the sword, how you said later on in the New Testament, it says it is not by power nor by might. Here he's saying it's not by sword nor by spear. We see the shadow of the New Testament yes. in the Old Testament. Because, yes. again, if we want to get technical about it, David was Messiah. He was operating under the spirit of God. Right there in that moment, look at what happens. Look at what happens. This is a movie scene. When the Philistine arose and came to and drew near to, da- to meet David, so that means the Philistine was ready to attack, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Look at that. He said, I'm running towards you because you're running towards me. I'm not afraid. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. He sniped him straight in the head. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his own sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherim as far as Gath and Ekron, and the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lo- lives, O oh king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is, because he couldn't recognize him. Can you imagine right there?
1: Saul knew who, who this boy was. He played before him. Yeah. He helped him.
0: Now he was like, Who is this young man? Who is this? He who couldn't, is this? couldn't recognize. Can you imagine? That's amazing. That's impressive. Because again, the transformation that happened in that moment, we see a boy go from being a boy, a shepherd, a shepherd, being a musician, to being a warrior. A warrior, right there. The transition happened instantly, right? As soon as Saul saw David go out against, okay, we read that already. And so David, Saul asks, Who is this guy? Fifth, I'm reading verse 57. Chapter verse, chapter 17. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Check that out. Right there, David had no identity to the king up to that point. He had no identity. If we're to step into the context of the time, a musician and a king, way different roles. A, music- a king would not bother to know the name of his musician, but it says that he loved him. But look at the condition of soul's mental health. He had already sent a letter to Jesse before. He had to talked to this guy many times. He's like, I like your son. He's dope. He's cool. But now he couldn't even recognize his identity in front of him, what does that show you? That sometimes the people in your life that have been with you, who have seen you, who you have even helped them, sometimes might not recognize you. But guess what? That's okay. Because as we see what David does, he does one thing. He brings honor and he walks in obedience because he says, I am David, the son of Jesse. Again, bringing honor and respecting His house.
1: His father. His house. Yes.
0: His through Jesse and honoring that and being like, that's all I am. He continues to walk in humility. He continues to have that posture of a humble guy, even though he just defeated the biggest threat that the kingdom was facing at the time. And now he was humbling himself, even though he was entitled to receive basically all these riches that had been promised to him all these different, you know, they promised that he'd be married to the wife of the king, uh, the, the daughter of the king, I'm sorry, in this case, Saul. But what happens through all of this, right? We mentioned that Saul starts to see David in a different light. He starts to see him in a certain way. He starts to, in this case, if we read chapter 18 of the, first samuel which you guys can go back and read this we're kind of going to start to skip through a little bit of this because it gets a little bit just like short little tidbits that you can read chapters 18 19 20 and sort of catch it up but in a summarized sense what happens post the battle is that david marries saul's daughter so that basically means that now david is constantly in the courts of the king with his daughter Mikal. and so essentially what happens is that the king's daughter loves David. And to a certain extent, if you were, if you read what happens, it, I'm just going to quickly read one verse, which is chapter 18, verse 6. It says, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, <laughs> and this saying displeased him. And he said, they have, dis- they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from the day on.
1: Verse 9, you read uh,
0: verse 9? That's what I just read. And yes. Saul eyed David from that day on. Right there, we see the birth of what is described in my Bible as Saul's jealousy of David because of defeats, because of what he had accomplished. And he, he even says, what more can he have but the kingdom? David was not threatening to become the king. He had simply won a battle, but in Saul's own mind, he allowed this thought to come in. He's going to take the kingdom from me. That's it. And it says that Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. So what ends up happening? What ends up happening, right? What's, what's the thing here? Saul goes into this frenzy, into this almost like a manic state. Almost, it says that he was raging. Like, you can imagine basically a mentally unstable person. If you've ever, I hope not, but maybe some people have had to deal with anger issues. This was anger issues, but on a way other level, because in his brain, he was already saying, let me kill David and pin him against the wall. Like, you're talking about like he wanted to murder him that that's the context well, that
1: was his intention that's at, his intention end, to kill him
0: he threw a spear at him you know you're gonna kill him you're gonna he was basically killing trying to kill him even though he had promised him his wife uh, his daughter you know can you imagine it was his, his his son-in-law pretty much it was his son-in-law fact
1: that right there that's intense
0: what, what, if it, for it, all you people that don't have good relationships with your suegros, your suegras, watch out, bro. They might try to throw a spear at you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh, but look at look at in, in verse in verse 10, uh, chapter 18, that a spirit came upon Saul, right? See, so these <clears throat> these things are, I, I don't know, I don't want to sound so mystical, so spiritual. But that's what the enemy comes to do. John chapter ten, verse ten said the enemy came to to kill, destroy, and to rob. And thus we see that sometimes we have these things that wants to jealousy. I mean, can yeah. you can you imagine Samuel? I mean, he was jealous of his his son-in-law. He was
0: a, a great victory David brought. Now he's so jealous he wants to kill David. And it even says, verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because mm. the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. That's, that's And so basically what it says is, so Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. There we see the third transition in his career. He went from shepherd to servant via his music, via his then he went to becoming a commander. Shepherd, musician, commander commander. is his three phases all through Saul. So not only did Saul despise him, now he feared him. He was afraid of David. Like we talked about before, what consumes our mind and what allows us to become so bogged up is fear. Fear of what? Because it says that, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. David would spend time coming in and out of the city because he was a commander. We're going to read later on some of his cool stories once he's king and how he is a really, really powerful warrior. And and I
1: think one of the key that we, we need to mention is that The Lord was with him. And that's, I guess, that's what we need in this day. We need that the Lord is with us. Because if the Lord is with us, who can be against us? When the Lord is with us, we have his favor. When the Lord is with us, we have his protection. When the Lord is with us, you can do anything in life. You succeed. You succeed. I, I, that's because we we he see gained clearly, favor. Yeah, uh, we see clearly in the life of of this young man becoming a chipper boy, a musician, a big opportunity, and now he's a commander. He's a a, a high top rank in the army.
0: A true rags yeah. to riches story yeah. because his house was humble. His father was Jesse, a Bethlehemite. Beth, the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest tribe. The Not as impressive, try. I I wonder
1: what the brothers, David's brother, you know, after what happened now, like, and I guess that's
0: that's what it is. You know, we even saw, we see, he never recruited them to work with him. So (laughs) that can only tell you so much about his brothers. You know, it's funny though, because what ends up happening, right, after basically he makes him a commander. So he promotes him, he gives him his job title, then he gives him his wife, Michal, his daughter. So that's where he becomes his son-in-law. He hadn't been his son-in-law up to that point, but then in that point, he was officially his son-in-law. But if you read chapter 19 of 1 Samuel and chapter 20, just in the head note, it says Saul tries to kill David. You can only imagine what happens. I'll give you the brief synopsis of the story. Saul sends an army. To David and Michal's house. And it says that Michal, his wife, comes out, encounters the soldiers. And he says, well, what is your intention for being here? And he says, we've come to see your husband, David. Okay. Michal, being smart, goes back and checks on David and tells him, uh, your, my, my father's armies are here and they're after you. So what happens? Like a good wife, she comes through and helps him escape and goes back and tells the soldiers, oh, my husband is sick. He's laying in bed. So the army waits there for a couple days. They're not just going to attack the house. They're respectful. You know, they're part of the army or whatever. So Saul, in all of that, se desespera. He gets anxious, as we know his tendencies are. So he sends messengers, and he goes out, and he looks for them, and he tells him. What has happened? What, what What's going on? And so he asks his daughter what happened. Well, like, where's David? Because he's not here anymore. Because Saul was getting eager and he's like, just go in and press them. Mikhail tells him, he told me that he was going to try and kill me if I didn't help him. Which, in this case, was a lie. It wasn't true. David and Mikhail loved each other. Like, if you read in chapters 18 19 and it says when they got married and all that that they loved each other so it wasn't true but that further fueled the fire inside of saul to the point where he goes on on a frenzy chasing david chasing him through caves chasing him through the wilderness saul does something really really bad and when david goes and flees and goes to the city of nob to seek refuge there's a group of priests that honor God and that believe in God, that help him out, that help David in this. But what ends up happening is that Saul, in his pursuals and in all of his anger, murders and destroys the entire city, committing a huge blasphemy against God. So here we see himself further pushing himself off the map, really, really just diving into this dark place. And we see the, tra- the trajectory of David's life. Now he's gone from commander to being pursued.
1: It was not easy for him.
0: Not easy at all. He went from being an innocent shepherd to being with the king as his musician to then saving the people, being a successful commander, marrying his wife, having the daughter of the king, and then he turns into a captor, someone who's being persecuted. Persecuted, yeah. He's being pursued by his father-in-law. Yeah. And in all of that, David never once, we read and you can read and see how he acts with the priests at Nob. He shows compassion. He shows warmth. He helps them. They help him. He has an encounter with God. And to the point where what ends up happening is the following. Saul pursues David and continues to pursue him to the point of death. But interestingly enough, David has multiple opportunities to kill Saul. And does, chooses not to. We'll break that down in later episodes because they end up being more significant on how he chooses to spare him. But think about the context there. In the first instance in which he spares his life, Saul, it says that he is still pursuing David. He has his armies. He himself is in the search now. He's hunting for David, trying to kill him. And it says that he goes to a cave. What a coincidence, the cave that he chooses, because in that cave where he walks into, David and his men were at the back of the cave, hidden from the king himself. And what happens? Literally, his men tell him, look, this is the golden ticket. This is the golden opportunity. You're about to kill Saul. Look, he's right there. He's he's by himself, because it says that the king wanted to relieve himself. But what does David do? He doesn't kill him. He sneakily goes up to him, and commits what he identifies as a sin. This is where we start to see a little bit of a um, nuance in David's character because he goes up to the king, Saul, and cuts a piece piece of his garment without him noticing, but then says, I have sinned. So there we continue to see the posture of David's heart, that even though he's in this situation directly confronted where basically you could say God has given him another victory and he can come in and take his head, He sins. And what is his immediate response? It's not to blasphemize or to be like, dang, what did I do? He recognizes his errors and tells his men, you know what? We're not going to kill Saul. We can't. And he shows mercy to him. He does it again. But the second time that he does it is now even more serious because David manages to flee. Because when he gets forgiven by the king and he spares his life, Saul says, dang, I messed up, but again, the pattern continues. He goes further into his you know, his craziness, his paranoia, and pursues David again. And the second time, David is able to sneak in to the encampment of Saul, and specifically his general, Abner, to the tent that they were sharing. So they were supposed to be pursuing him, and he is crafty enough and stealthy enough, but more importantly, God intervenes for him. Because it says that... There came a deep sleep over all of the people who were in the army and David was able to sneak in. And, you know, what ends up happening is that he shows mercy once more because David has him right in front of him. He has the general right there. And instead of choosing to strike him down in that moment, he takes his spear and he takes his jar of water. And then he goes and makes this big scene and tells the king, why are you attacking me? Why are you pursuing me if I haven't done anything against you? Why choose to come at me when I have been faithful to you? That's all he says. And I'm reading and if you want to go and read it we're reading 1 Samuel chapter 24 where basically all it says is as soon as David has had finished speaking these words to Saul and the words he spoke were those that I just said, "Why are you pursuing me? Why are you attacking me?" That's in verse 14. 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Verse 14, chapter 24. After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me. For when the Lord put me into your hands... For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me on this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home but David and his men went up to the stronghold so there we see the he concedes this whole long journey this whole death and destruction Saul annihilated a whole city pursuing one man and look at the posture David takes he says you pursue me pursue me a dead dog after a flea like he's telling them you're a king And you're over here chasing me when you're already in a condition that you don't need to be in. And once that happens, once David confronts that truth, I am but a flea and you are a dead dog. That's the position that he puts them in. That's the posture that he sets up for them, right? Saul recognizes and he comes to the ultimate conclusion, which is that, you know what? You are going to be the king.
1: At the end, he recognized
0: One of the things is that
1: also that I want to point out, it's in verse 6 and 24. Chapter 24, verse 6. Can you read it? Um, Because that was David. Why? He he gives the answer,
0: why? Yeah. Verse 6, he says, He said to his men, David, right? Yeah. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him. Seeing he is the Lord's anointed, so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul, and rose up and left the cave and went on his way. This was the first time.
1: Yeah. So, so he recognized Saul as God's anointed. Once again, we see recognition because he said, "Cómo le voy a poner la mano al ungido de Dios." Right. So this is very important to that was. the that was the only thing. Stop David not to kill Saul. I'm not going to He put, recognized He that. recognized the authority. He recognized that Saul was God's anointed. He was still walking in obedience. He was not impatient. Mm. He had to wait until the moment comes to become the king of Israel. We have to go through a process, right? Now you see now Saul's telling you you're going
0: to be the king. You are. He recognizes it. it, But not yet. Exactly. Because not yet. Not yet. What happens in that not yet? He spares Saul again. We talked about it. Twice. He, He grabs his spear. He sneaks into the encampment. He spares his life twice. Yes, twice. And after that is when basically the second, you know, he spares him a second time. By that point, Saul is washed up. He's completely washed up. He's gone through so much to the point of what happens is that he's continuing in this pursuing of David. He continues to pursue David to the point where David must flee. And where does he flee? Where does David go? Where does he run to after being like, man, Saul's not, he's not going to, he's not going to stop chasing me. After the second time that I've spared his life, he goes to the Philistines. Interestingly enough, the enemy of the people who he had been once, you know, fighting against. He defeated Goliath, who was a Philistine. We didn't get to touch on his second anointing of when he became the king of Judea, which we're going to touch on on the next podcast. But here we're going to start to see, to summarize in this podcast, we've seen his transition from being a shepherd to being a musician to then becoming a commander to then ultimately being... The person persecuted. He's persecuted. Right there, he's being persecuted. He's being persecuted. still with a great purpose. And all of that is in light of his purpose. Everything that he's going through, his process that he's gone through as a shepherd, his process that he's gone through as a musician, it's all for a greater purpose, which we need to find. We're going to touch into that. And as the premise of this whole thing is we know that he's the king. We heard Saul say it, but we don't know yet what needs to happen in order to trigger a certain series of events because here is when we first start to see we've been looking at the posture of David and how his heart has been in it the whole time. But now, after seeing everything that's been going on, he decides to flee to who? To his enemies. He tries to go and seek refuge in another spot where he might have not needed to have seek that refuge. And we'll read what happens because it's not good for him. It doesn't he doesn't end up doing what he thought he was going to do with the Philistines to the point where he has to pay the price for it eventually. And we'll see what happens with that. But more importantly, I'm going to summarize this for what's going to happen next week. And that is that ultimately in that process that he goes through with the Philistines. We'll leave it there and we'll we'll see what happens next week when we come back to the podcast and what he does.
1: It will be a great a great podcast because we're gonna see what happened in, in La Cueva de Adulan.
0: The Adulan Cave sounds mysterious. Sounds like something out of I don't something know. Something happened. Some Star Wars type name right there. It
1: was the beginning of the gray uh, kingdom.
0: Exactly. We we have set the stage now at this point with these two podcasts to really start to dive into what the Hebrew culture recognizes as the greatest kingdom, as you just mentioned. And
1: it is, it is. Even Like I told you, when I went to Israel, they had a big, big, big part uh, on on David.
0: Yeah. Even, like I'm saying, like, you know, it's funny because Hebrew culture or Jewish culture to this day might not accept a great leader like Jesus as their Messiah, but they honor someone like David. And we'll, we'll get into why. Because... At the end of the day, there's something that we want to get into the waves with on David, and that's understanding the mystery of his heart. How is it that he is considered a man after God's own heart? And that's the challenge that we're going to dive into next week. But, man, this was a good one. It's a lot of—this episode was very textual-based. I know there might have been a lot of scripture in here, and maybe you guys don't have a Bible right there in front of you. That's why we try our best to sort of read— You know, you might forgive our pronunciations here and there, but honestly, I motivate you guys to go back. And if you guys have a free second, read the first book of Samuel if you want to kind of read the stories, because it's beautiful language in the book of Samuel describing the scenes, describing the wars, describing the fights. But now we hope that you've sort of gotten the core of this. And that's that the processes that you go through in life are for a purpose. And that ultimately, if you are able to keep your heart where it needs to be and continue to walk in those patterns that are going to lead to success, the rest will fall into place. As we've heard, as we read, and as we'll later come on to see, this is the most successful phase of David's life. It is. You yourself said that when you think of David, the first thing you think of is David and Goliath. We read his story today. Because the reality is that we start to see the trajectory of a king. And we're going to get into that next week. So we'll leave it there. All right. Sounds good.
1: All right. Okay, Samuel, hope you have a great week. And um, we'll see you next
0: Monday. Yes, sir. And stay wave. Mantente en la ola. Remember, you were supposed to say it in Spanish. Mantente en la ola. Stay wavy, y'all. We love you guys. And yeah, keep sharing this podcast. Keep throwing it out there i know that there's a lot of people who might be listening this to maybe the first time i encourage you to go back and listen to the other podcasts that we've um had and we're gonna have them up there forever so you know if you ever have a free time if you ever want to just go back or again get in the community get in the loop with us you know hit us up on instagram hit us up on email whatever and let us know your questions let us know your comments your thoughts how this has been going and we also want to open this up to any guests. If you guys are interested on, you know, being part of the Into the Waves podcast, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for that. And I don't know, what do you think, Mister, Mr. Mister Roberto?
1: It would be great to have somebody else, especially uh, we can have a, a
0: a woman. Shout out the women.
1: Yeah, so they can. Y'all can, got some fire perspectives for yeah, us, for oh, sure. Definitely. So that way we can have a good Very good conversation.
0: Definitely. All right. Well, we love you guys. And yeah, as always, stay blazed, stay wavy, and we'll catch you guys next
1: time. I bless you all.